Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. In the end, it will anyway. So let me the f***ing house! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast. We are your go-to source for ratings and recommendations of past and present films. I am your host, Wes Jones, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, this is Tommy, podcasting straight from Nashville, Tennessee. The movie buddy Conway, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. What's up, Real Talk listeners? We're back, and tonight, oh man, we are revisiting a heartwarming tale, a tale as old as time, a tale everyone identifies with. Dad gets pissed because his 16-year-old daughter loses her virginity to a 23-year-old murderer. It's statements like that which lead me to wonder, what on earth am I doing with my life? Why at nearly 40 years old am I podcasting about Mark Wahlberg, Reese Witherspoon, starring vehicle 1996's Fear, a movie Tom has tried to forget, but podcasts like ours just won't let it die. Whose idea was this for an episode anyway? It was yours. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll take full blame for tonight, for the rest of the episode, and let's just not waste any time. Let's get our co-hosts in here and from our conversation earlier today, I can make each of them feel a little uncomfortable by asking them, do they have any memorable roller coaster experiences in their life? But instead, I'm just going to ask them how excited they are to talk some fear. T-Man, how excited are you to talk fear tonight? Oh, man, I'm, I'm freaking psyched. I love fear. I don't know why I love fear. It's one of the trashiest movies I've ever seen, and I saw it like at like 13 years old. So I was like, even then I knew it was trashy. You're right, Wes. But I, I want to rephrase your question. You said you're, you know, you're almost 40. You're, what are you doing with life? Podcasting about fear. I want to ask, why aren't more people rewatching fear <laughs> and, and you know podcasting about it? Maybe that's what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with America. More people need to rewatch this movie to learn about life, to learn about first love, to learn about how to defend yourself against a psychotic ex-boyfriend and ultimately <laughs> throw them out the window. So lots of life lessons you can learn. Hopefully that we are going to just you'll you'll see if you're going in and looking at the streaming services, all of a sudden fear just like goes number one on on HBO Max because of this episode. We are fear trending. Yes, that's right. We're going to get fear trending again. <laughs> Hashtag roller coaster. Uh, not so. that, but not that, but we will get it trending again <laughs> and we need to remake it. How is there not a remake fear or a fear too? We need to write the screenplay. We need to produce this. We can do it guys. Yeah. Let's get, um, we can get Marky, Marky Mark to come back. You know, he lands on the pavement. We, we think he's dead or on the rocks. We think he's dead, but he could have just got up and swam off because the movie just ends. It literally just ends out of nowhere. So David could still be out there. Here's the plot, though. Here's the plot. You right, bring Reese Witherspoon back. 
you cast her daughter, who if you, her real life daughter, who looks, looks like, like identical yeah. to her, yes, and then she is the one that's crazy. Uh, you know, they flip it on its head. Yeah, David becomes normal. <laughs> David becomes normal, and Mark, she she does the, the same thing to him. Yes, I like it. We'll we'll work on that. <laughs> Gabe, what about you? And how excited are you to talk about fear? So you guys had been talking about man, you got to watch fear, and you all did it late at night without me. I was I got kids or something. I don't know, but so you guys, you know, you made me do this weird corridor erotic thriller episode. I don't know, like a month ago, and I was like, how can it get any stranger? And then. Now I'm hit with fear. You guys were talking about how this maybe ended the erotic thriller, and that could be some people's view. This could have gone maybe a little too far, and it could have ended the erotic thriller. Or in my mind, this is the apex of the erotic thriller, and they know, knew no movie was going to surpass fear, and so that they had to stop on the high note. Like, that's what I think actually happened. It was like, how do you follow up Michael Jordan? You don't. I don't know if fear is the apex of anything. <laughs> well, I will say this about fear. There's a couple of movies I remember from my childhood that are just obscure. Like I remember Airborne. Like I remember yeah. watching it and it's just kind of an obscure movie. I remember the very end scene of fear. And I don't know if I remember being frightened or laughing, not laughing, but I, I do distinctly remember it. And I do think if it might not be the apex of erotic thrillers, but it is for sure going to be one of the apexes of uh, guilty pleasures. Mm, Gabe, <laughs> Gabe already throwing out his uh, his ending question tonight, but that's okay because if the audience has never been with us for a guilty pleasure series episode, what we like to do with these, we're going to determine tonight is fear 1996. Mark Wahlberg, Reese Witherspoon. The dude from CSI. Is it a good movie? Is it a bad movie? Or is it a guilty pleasure? And so you're going to get each host take after we run through the movie, after we talk about it, after we destroy it, you'll get to hear if we think it's a true guilty pleasure. And Fear is honestly the perfect kind of movie for this format. And if you haven't seen it recently, it will have you contemplating a lot of things, especially what on earth was going on in cinema back in the mid-90s? Questions like, how the hell does the director of Glengarry Glen Ross, a well-respected early 90s drama, and the freaking writer of The Last of the Mohicans, how do they come together and make this damn thing? They probably came together, got drunk, and this is what came out of it. Well, but, here's the thing, Wes. If, if you've seen James Foley's uh, IMDb afterwards... Maybe this was who he always was. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's actually that's pretty true. bad. <laughs> that's he was. True. He ended up doing like Twilight movies. Ugh. You know, something that was mentioned on the Oscar episode, they're talking about like how good of an actress that Kristen Stewart has become. On a serious note, just for a minute, which we don't like to get serious on um, on Guilty Pleasure series episodes, but both of the stars actually have turned out to be excellent actors. You got Robert Pattinson and you have Kristen Stewart from the Twilight days. And who would have ever thought they would still be working much less, you know, A-list actors and actresses. So, yeah, don't forget Tyler. Lo- don't forget Tyler Lautner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a motorcycle. That movie <laughs> where he's driving around on it. That's uh, three. Yeah. 
another excellent actor. <laughs> can't can't forget him. That's for Apex sure. actor. Yeah, see, Apex you left actor. that you you left that off because that's the best. You wanted to save uh, the best for last again, Wes. I got gotcha. you. I see. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you for saving me on that point. Anyway, here in a bit, we're going to be walking through fear. We like to go and throw out sequences and then talk about a lot of the aspects of the film. But before we get into that, I did want to start a little bit of a discussion topic here. Gabe has already alluded to it, but as I was thinking about fear, I was like, what what, the, what do you do with this movie? I mean, you you just hop on, you talk about the aspects of it, and you call it a night. Well, what we should what do. Are, or that's probably what people are hoping we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I will, I'm going to delay them for about five minutes because I had this thought, and I wanted to get your guys' takes on it because... We did the erotic thriller episode, and I looked into erotic thrillers way more than I ever thought I would in preparation for that episode. But in the episode, we kind of talked about how they just died out. They just pretty much just disappeared. But I kind of see movies like Fear, as the erotic thriller started to die out, movies like Fear started to rise a little bit. And so you kind of see this baton pass from erotic thrillers of the 80s and 90s to the mid to late 90s, you start getting these young adult thrillers. Not horror movies, but just thrillers, which in a lot of regards, they share the same elements. The main characters of the film are much younger than in erotic thrillers, but the risque elements remain the same. Plus these types of movies, they also seem to have paved the way for that late 90s, early 2000s teen movie explosion so in that regard on a serious note it actually makes film a fear kind of an interesting film because think about it you've got movies like cruel intentions you always know i want to be able to work cruel intentions into some episode you've got wild things (laughs) you've got jawbreaker several others in fear so what do you guys think about that thought yeah i when you mentioned it i I thought about it and i thought it made a lot of sense because like you said wes the you know, that heyday of the erotic thriller that we talked about was really the 80s to like kind of the early to mid 90s. And then it kind of died down. I think a lot of that was due to, you know, cable TV and, and you know, that type of thing. But also, like you said, I think there was like this influx of these teenage thrillers. There was like, like you said, fear. A couple others I thought about. There was like, remember that movie, The Crush with Alicia Silverstone? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of them. She also had another one. I was like the babysitter. I think that was one. Uh, So there were like multiples of these. Looking back, it's kind of weird. They're selling this stuff about teenagers and about like, so it's like, oh, that's a little strange. It is. It's, It's a little creepy. But when I started thinking about those movies, that's really where they shifted it. It's like they shifted the age of the characters to more of a teenage thing, but it was still, I mean, uh, these have a lot of erotic thriller elements to them. Yeah, they're absolutely, This is going down a questionable path, guys, but I think maybe they were like, (laughs) uh, we can't figure this out, but all these young people are going to see these erotic thrillers. Maybe we should make them our target demographic. I I don't know. Don't quote me on this, but I I do think, you know. You're being quoted. Oh, I'm being quoted. I do think being recorded, that Fear actually. was the last one of these because it was the apex. Like I said at the beginning, they knew. Don't quote me. You're literally being quoted through a recorder. 
go ahead, Gabe. Finish. Finish. Your all part. I was all I was saying is I think this is the last erotic thriller because they knew it was the best, you know. So they knew <laughs> they couldn't get any better than this. But I do like that you mentioned Wild Things because I think that's a that's a really good one. I think that is an erotic thriller. It's just and it's just started transitioning. Yeah, yeah the girls in it in Wild Things. They're I mean they're in college, right? I mean that's yeah they're a little older. Mm-hmm. But there's they're not. And most of the erotic thrillers you're dealing with, you know, men and women to their late twenties and in their thirties. And heck, Michael Douglas was the king for a while. I think he was in his forties during the, yeah, Mike, some of Michael that. Lo- he was like, "I'm going to keep doing this until I'm 50. Yeah, and he did, <laughs> and he did. But yeah, with Cruel Intentions, again, we're we're dealing with teenagers. Jawbreaker, we're dealing with teenagers. Wild Things, we're dealing with college age students. In fear, we're dealing with teenagers. So it's just kind of weird how that switched over. And I don't remember films like that really in the 80s. And, you know, some audience members may be like, oh, this movie, that movie, that. It's like that. But it, it seemed that this type of film really to take off in the mid-90s. Yeah, well, I think I, in the 80s they had the, like, teenage comedies. You know, like the Porky's. Mm-hmm. Yes. They had those. Where in the mid-90s to late 90s they had, like, the erotic thriller type. But I think, to your point, of how this also kind of, I think it just kind of translate trans tr- transitioned mm-hmm. into like that late nineties teen wave, uh, horror movies, comedies, you know, American Pie, I know what you did last summer. All those, scream. it's all yeah, yeah. scream. This is all part of that. I even I even feel like the craft kind of falls into it, but it's it does. Like, it does. It's I'm like yeah. You you took you know you guys took me down this dark path and then because I went down the erotic thrillers path I went and watched <laughs> wild things and you know I was like why are you why blaming us Gabe and then it just took a natural progression into T man like sneaking into people's houses and being erotic and being weird in the corner hey, so it's that like, was a joke that was all a joke <laughs> that never happened I got to put that out there. <laughs> It's like, man, I kind of regret some of the jokes I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> that was all a joke, everybody. <laughs> That's it. I don't really think we need to explore it anymore. And I mean, you could probably poke holes in my theory uh, if you really sat down and wanted to. But I just, as we knew, the erotic thrillers were dying out in the mid '90s. I mean, you got Unfaithful, I think, in maybe 2002, but um, there there wasn't a whole lot after that mid '90s. And I just thought it was kind of interesting how fear in a lot of ways seemed like one, you know, you're yep. sleeping with the enemy from the early nineties and hand of rocks, the cradle and just different things like that. Right. Well, they've tried to bring it back a couple of times. Like you said, unfaithful, uh, they, they, you know, they have that new movie coming out soon with Ben Affleck, uh, deep water mm-hmm. that on a day is yeah, as well, right? That's another one all by the same director, Adrian Lynn. I guess he's like, only one that does it now anymore <laughs> he's like i'm going back to the well i it's so but yeah they it's never been able to latch on any longer but yeah it is just kind of interesting how this this mid-90s i think honestly i think it's almost not as much that brought back this type of rock throw i think it's almost like teenage movies in general kind of started doing all different types of genres not everyone they made so many of them. They kind of branched out into all different types. You know, they did the comedies, the horror, the uh, the thrillers. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were some other genres that I'm not thinking about, but they kind of kind of touched all the different ones. No, I'm with you, absolutely. Gave any remaining thoughts on this? I'm more chomping at the bit to get into this walkthrough than I than I was at Roadhouse. 
Oh, Gabe's <laughs> ready. Okay. Ready to go. Roadhouse, that, was a, that was a fun one. So, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back on the other side to talk fear. Earth is looking for other life. Starship Journeyer has been recalled only to be captured by the Ubide alien race of incredible intellect and ally of the Dirths, our carnivorous yet intelligent reptilian race. Captain Cage was abducted. Crew members Eva Cusping and Enrico Dalchez were caught between two warring kingdoms. Captain Cage and Eva Cusping discover a secret about themselves. One will feel rage, the other enlightenment. Humans and other races go on a desperate journey while relentlessly hunted. Are we alone in the universe? Is there a god? What does the future hold? Do you really want to know? You just heard the YouTube trailer for author Stephen Couch's epic sci-fi book series, Shadowed Stars. If you're a regular listener of Real Talk, you've heard a lot about Shadowed Stars. You know that book one, Shadowed Stars, and book two, The Reign of the Black Guard, are available now. But great news, because book three, Children of Home, is coming soon. And we'll be talking with Stephen about book three on an upcoming episode of our interview series. For those of you who are new to Shadowed Stars, head over to ShadowedStarsBooks.com. You'll be able to get the latest information on the series, learn more about author Stephen Couch, read his short stories, and find direct links to purchase the books. Again, that's ShadowedStarsBooks.com. And speaking of books, Stephen has eight numbered books planned in the series, with more unnumbered ones to follow. And I love what Stephen is doing with the characters, as there are different characters between the odd and even-numbered books, with some cameos mixed in. This keeps the story arcs fresh and the pages turning. Keep in mind, Shadowed Stars is for a mature audience with mature themes, which is different from most of the stories you get in the sci-fi and fantasy realm. So, are we alone in the universe? Is there a God? What does the future hold? There's only one way to find out. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes Store, wherever you get your books, and start your journey into the Shadowed Stars universe. Listen to me. Some have to your problems. All of them. I know you abandoned Nicole when she needed you most. Because I licked her sweet tears. I know about things coming apart at work. Maybe you fucking lost it in that department. I also know you ain't keeping up, so to speak, your end of the bargain with the missus. Because if you were, she wouldn't be all over my stick. But relax, Steve. My friends. Practically family. All right, Gabe, you don't have to wait any longer. Audience, you don't have to wait any longer. It's time to get into the fear walkthrough. People have been waiting forever. They can't wait any longer. Oh, man. So, Fear 1996. If you've not seen this movie, we're going to go through sequences, and that's where we take a handful of scenes. And we kind of throw them out of us out as a sequence. We talk through that. So there's going to be massive spoilers for the film. If you've not seen the movie and you're intrigued, please watch it. Then come back and join us as we go as we go through this walkthrough. All right, guys. So I gave my spoiler warning. We're ready for our first sequence. 
And the movie, Fear, 1996, starts with CSI agent Gil Grimson, a.k.a. Mr. Walker, played by (laughs) William Peterson as he's running through the woods, literally like he's Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. And I did want to just throw this out there because I thought that was interesting. William Peterson, he made a name for himself in the prequel to Silence of the Lambs, 1985's Manhunter. So I thought it's kind of funny that the opening of Fear yeah, him running around like Clarice at the beginning of Silence of the Lambs, and it's it, it just kind of a, a strange I mean, thing to notice. It's obviously a homage. I mean, even the music sounds similar. Yep, yep. I'm, and uh, if only this movie could have been anywhere near as right. good as Silence I mean, of the Lambs. They're just missing one important thing, talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the movie starts our setting here is the suburbs of Seattle in the mid-90s. We meet Mr. Walker's family. He has a new wife, Laura. Her son, Toby, his stepson. Their dog, whom Mr. Walker tells the dog that he eats meaner dogs for breakfast. I thought was a really strange thing to, to tell a dog, but he does. And then we also meet his 16-year-old daughter, Nicole Walker, played by the lovely Reese Witherspoon. Fantastic actress, by the way. Now, Nicole, she is supposed to be 16 years old in this movie. And naturally, we catch up with her in the shower, of course. Um, that was a really odd thing. That's As soon as you see her, she's so in the shower. A lot of weird things going on in this movie. <laughs> a lot of weird things. Now, luckily, Reese was actually a legal adult when they made this movie. But still, I found that a little creepy. It's obvious from the setup that Mr. Walker is successful in something. No one seems to know exactly what he does for a living. But this basically introduces us to our our nucleus, our family here. And it really only covers about three or four minutes of the film. But it does at least take care of the setting and gives us a look, like I said, at that family unit. So what are your thoughts so far in this this first few minutes of the film? I mean, I've got to tell you guys, I agree with you. I I thought we were watching like a history drama when it started or Silence of the Lambs, like a good movie. There's that running sequence, that that music that just doesn't fit with the mu- movie at all. The mu- yeah, the music's <laughs> good. It is really like, good. That's the one thing I always remembered about Fear is that it always had a good like score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, way too good for the movie. I get amped up. I'm like, yeah, we're getting ready to watch a good movie. Come on, let's get some fear. And then I've always thought that, like, have you ever thought about, like, so you're watching a movie because I love musical scores. And there's some movies, most really good musical scores, I feel like, go with, like, really good movies. But there are occasions where, like, you got a really good musical score, and you got to be thinking, like, that composer's like, man, I just wasted, like, my best material <laughs> on this trash. <laughs> like, he, this composer, this was probably the best thing he ever made, and it, like... He's like regretting it to this day. He's like, no, he wa- you know, he went and watched the film and he's like, oh man, how are they going to put that in there? Oh, yeah. oh. oh, great editing. Immediate. We just talked about film editing. Great <laughs> sequence at the beginning and immediate cut to Reese shower scene. <laughs> I, just, like, I had my, my big I'm moment. Never working Reese. again. <laughs> but yeah, th- this musical score is way too good for this movie. Anything else about the family or anything? Again, I know I just covered like the first three or four minutes of the film, but we do meet a lot of the characters that we're going to be following the rest of the movie. Uh, no, nothing really about the family. So, I mean, I do agree with you, Wes, on that 
that thing about him eating dogs for breakfast. So many questions. I won't go down that rabbit hole, but (laughs) just lots of questions. Anyway, uh, the one thing I will say about the family, this father has to be one of the douchiest fathers like I've ever seen in the way he talks to Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) He is a douchey father. He, he does. He like acts like he doesn't care about his son like at all, and he's he like doesn't. he's like your other father, he doesn't and, care about him. and and then all of a sudden he's like oh I, he wants to ride in his cool car he goes I'll give him a ride to school you know my car is cool well, he, he was just oh, trying I to like he was trying I've to get some from the wife later that night yeah. that's why he was doing that he's like all right I'll get some brownie points. I I like William Peterson in this role. He's an alpha dad. I like they got. I like how they show him run. Like he's physical. You know he's going to be a match forever. Whoever comes in that family. So I like (laughs) this intro. T man likes his alpha dads. Uh, You know I don't want my dad condescending and mean. T man wants an alpha dad. Any more alpha dads y'all can throw out that you can think of, like a real good alpha dad from a movie? Uh, alpha <laughs> dads. Arnold and Commando comes to mind. Once, ag- once again, fe- once again, fear is the pinnacle. So <laughs> Arnold and Commando, but yeah, this dad right here is a super alpha dad. I really always liked him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I think we're ready for sequence two. Again, not a lot going on there, but we we are going to pick up with some plot line here. So. Sequence two. Next, we meet Nicole's best friends. We've got Gary, good old Gary. We've got Margot, and Margot's a played by Alyssa Milano, who, uh, ironically enough, is um, Arnold's daughter in Commando. So you like how I tied that in there. They all go out to a bar, and here we get our first uh, glimpse of an incredibly cliche Seattle grunge-looking dude whose name is Logan, whom inexplicably, mind-blowing, that Margot is instantly attracted to this dude. Alyssa Milano, gorgeous lady. And then we get... <laughs> I just cannot get over the the look of this guy, and she's instantly like, whoa! Like, I'll, I'll get in with this dude. But anyway. Wes, it's true love, man. You can't... You can't it's unexpected can't sometimes. Stop it. it's, yeah. it's, can't it's stop it. It's a force it. to be reckoned with. Force of nature. So anyway, Let's Nicole, try to break it up. Yeah, I just I wasn't I wasn't happy with this. I, it was just too far fetched in uh, a movie we're talking about. Wes wants wants to know why he wants to know why. One answers anyway. So Nicole, she notices a nice looking guy, David, played by Mark Wahlberg, and you know they make eyes a little bit. The group picks up a flyer for a rave party and then leave. The next day, Margot and Nicole are hanging out at the pool in their bikinis. Another very 90s thing is that both actresses throughout the film are incredibly sexualized. Obviously, again, makes you uncomfortable because they are supposed to be 16, 16, 17-year-old girls. So anyway, we'll just move on from that, and we'll say that uh, later, Mr. Walker, he gets called away on business. And so Nicole joins Margot, and they go to this rave that they got the flyer for earlier. There, they meet up with Logan and David, and relationships start to form. And literally, out of nowhere, almost instantly, a riot occurs, and the characters escape. So that's where we're going to cut this sequence off as the characters are escaping. So 
There is just a bunch to talk about here. We've met all the major characters of the film. We got relationships forming. The stage is set. Thoughts on this amazing sequence. This is an amazing sequence, and I have the most notes on any so, sequence on this sequence. So I I have to kick off with, like, okay, yeah. so are all these kids in high school at a bar during school? When did this happen? <laughs> yeah, like, literally in the middle like of the Seattle. day. Seattle. Like, did I miss something when I was in high school? (laughs) Like, was was this going on and I just wasn't a part of it? More importantly, everyone in the freaking school is there. Are their teachers just like they're all there? there. It's uh, it's 10 a.m. They're all at that bar. (laughs) Are their teachers just sitting in their classrooms? Like, I I thought we had kids in this class. Where the freak are our kids? Like, uh, down the bar, bar. down the street. What did I miss? Like, I guess I think it's supposed to be. No, I think it's supposed to be a coffee shop, not a bar. And it's after school. Uh, no, because they skip, skip English lit class. But oh, it, do they? Yeah, they, well, they're like, you know, hey. what are you going to remember? English? She says, what are you going to remember? English lit or this? True. Also, <laughs> I don't know if English all lit the was a class there. that I had in high school. But I think it's all the dropouts that are hanging out there. I, I don't know. Honestly, what I really think it is is... They're probably like college age people at that bar. They look a little bit older than high school. So what I would assume is that they're they're ditching high school. They're probably like seniors or whatever they are. They're going to like a college bar. That's what I would bet. I just picture this English lit teacher sitting there with a bunch of empty desks. Like I could have sworn <laughs> I had I kids in this. <laughs> I could have sworn there were some kids in this class. <laughs> Well, Tima, what about you? I know something big got to stick out here to you in this sequence. The main thing, though, that I just always sticks out to me is just how 90s everything is. You know, it just brings back so many memories of just, you know, like Gabe said, skipping class and going to your local coffee shop, listening to grunge music, wearing the hoodie, playing hacky sack. You know, (laughs) I feel like that's what they're all going to be doing, uh, you know, right after that cut scene. Your coffee shop, your standard coffee shop that has a pool table in the back with uh, these people that look like they're bikers, like playing pool. You know, <laughs> no. just that just sends me back down memory lane from high school. Just yeah, it's got yeah, it's definitely got like the grunge mid nineties feel to it for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's Probably obviously what they're going with. And what what I think is so funny about it is you know Alyssa Milano's guy, you know Mr. Allison Chains here. He's your prototypical Seattle grunge character with the hair, the clothes, the whole persona. But when they're dancing together at the rave, he's doing these really cheesy, like white guy do 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 kind of moves that he's doing back and forth. And I just I noticed that this last time I was watching, I just busted out laughing because he's supposed to be a Seattle grunge, and it was just completely not the music, not the dance for it. It looked right. absolutely ridiculous. He's like, this I, is not my, I'm out of my element. <laughs> I have to go on another tie right here, Wes. I'm, I mean, seriously, logistically, who set up this raid? Where did they find this massive warehouse? It, think about the time and effort it must have been to set up this freaking rave. Custom lighting, speakers, DJs, bars, people to work the bars. They got bartenders, like, for this one <laughs> night. Like, where did they it get see, this? Yeah, and it seems like it's, like, undercover or hidden. Like, it doesn't even seem legit, but they have, like, like you said, bartenders. You know, yeah. the, 
you know that person that like spent their week of their life while they were supposed to be in school or whatever they were supposed to be doing, setting it up. When they start vandalizing this stuff, they're like, he's like, are you kidding me? He's got to be like ticked. And once again, <laughs> did none of these kids have parents? Here, they're just a bunch of parents sitting around like, I could have sworn, you know, that night, like I could have sworn, sworn I had, had kids. I could have sworn I had kids. You know, they're just like sitting around their house watching TV. I guess not. I guess we'll just, you know, hang out. Like well, they're, this, they're all at the party, though. Okay, come on now. You know, in high school, people partied. People, I mean, people did party, but we didn't have a rave. Like <laughs> yeah, this, is, act like there's no parties in high school. Come on now. Where was I? Did, did, did were you guys at giant factories with these massive raids that must have been planned <laughs> in advance? Like I wasn't at. Oh, one. nightly, nightly, yeah, nightly. No, we didn't have these type of raids. I think I can't tell. That's the thing. It's probably like a combination of more of a college party. That's kind of what I got. This is Seattle. That's another thing you got to think about. And this is a major city. So it could be a combination of college, 20-year-olds, and then they're kind of like latching on as the high schoolers. I, I guess. I don't That's know if good. Gabe's buying it, team man Gabe's, he just, He's I'm not, not convinced. What that Gabe knows about Gabe? Like, Gabe's, Gabe's not liking this Alpha Dad stuff, and he's not liking these kids partying. Gabe, you need to let these kids be kids. Let them party. <laughs> let them have some fun. I just got, feel like got angry old out. Gabe now. Y'all angry about... old Gabe here. You know, Wes is the young gun now. Wes is having fun. Gabe I'm is back. trying to kill them. Wes is back. Gabe's trying to kill all the fun, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know how I could transition from that. I will say that, that, I mean, I'm not trying to kill the fun. I just, I wasn't a part of it. Bring me into the fun. Right, no. I I, I feel like I missed all this. Like, none of this, there was no high school bar during English Lit. There was no rave. Like, maybe I wasn't in on the down with the 411 or whatever. Um, I think when you say that, you're automatically not. But anyway, so like, but I do like Mark Wahlberg's pickup line. Hey, you're not dancing. And then she goes, hey, you aren't either. Like, does that work? Oh, does, obviously. You see I that it works. I, I mean, know. hook, line, and sinker for that girl. But I think the thing, before we get too long on this particular sequence, the thing I want to get going on just a second, and we'll move on to, to sequence three, is I got to get started on this damn riot. Because this thing <laughs> was just amazing. So you've got Allison Chains here. We just cut over to him while Marky Mark and Reese are, you know, kind of doing their thing. Cut over to him. He just headbutts a guy. All right. We don't have <laughs> yeah. any context of why he, he headbutts him. And then immediately, I mean, it was like a powder keg went off. It explodes into full blown riot. We got a dude jumping from the second story into giant light fixtures. We don't know why. It catches fire. There's just chaos <laughs> everywhere. The guy that started it is just standing there peacefully in the middle of it. Marky Mark grabs him. It's time to go. T-Man, you're talking about, you know, it's it's supposed to be where it's kind of this secretive thing. It looks like an underground thing. You know, how did they get all this set up? Well, it's the, the riot's been going maybe a minute, maybe in a minute and a half. They get to the roof. Sure enough, there's police helicopters already on scene. The riot has been raging. <laughs> And the police helicopters are there. So I was Man, literally fast. floored by this riot scene. <laughs> so many questions. And then okay. they go they go sit on the roof, and apparently that's okay. You know, nobody else thought about that. And with all the helicopters out there, they're just like, you know, I don't care about these two. 
Yeah, they walk yeah. to the helicopters. They get close, closer to closer to the helicopters. Yeah, but the, the, and the helicopter has the light on them. Like they're oh, like yeah. really concerned about Reese and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, but I mean the the I mean back to what you're saying. Just that guy that set up those giant light fig, lighting speaker <laughs> towers. He is ticked. He is yeah. ticked. The last thing well, he expected was some dude to just jump off the balcony into <laughs> one. Whoever set up this whole rave has got to be pissed. It got ruined for no reason. Nobody knows. <laughs> Everybody just started panicking and running. I've been to I've been out to a lot of bars and stuff. I know you guys have to. I've never seen a situation where like there's one event or one little thing happens and everybody starts panicking and running around. That never <laughs> happens. No, people so, turn and want to see what's going on. They watch. Yeah, you, you usually just stop and watch. <laughs> yeah, like happens. if somebody trashes like a speaker, it's usually just that one drunk guy, and then everybody's looking right. at him and talking about him. <laughs> Not everybody. I don't know what where they were. Like, because I wasn't at any of these places. I've already said it. Nobody. Not everybody. <laughs> one person like knocks something over. Not everybody joins in. Okay, no, let's do not. an experiment. This weekend, we're, we'll go down to Nashville. We'll get into the, 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 I don't even know if they'll let us in. We might be too old. We'll try to get in and then we'll just do some kind of shenanigans and see if we can recreate, you know, this riot with these helicopters. We're going to do a recreation of the, the, (laughs) yeah, of the fear scene. It'll be a social And uh, we'll broadcast it live on uh, (laughs) a Real Talk's Instagram page. Yeah. I love it, guys. You won't miss. All right, I think we've we've done this uh, sequence justice. Uh, that is definitely one of my favorite things in the whole movie is just the instant, the insto riot. Oh, hold it's on, hold riot. on, hold on. We got to add to the dad's douchery. He calls his daughter Sugar Plum, and she calls him my nectarine fruit. Who has oh, fruit yeah, names for their 17-year-old daughter? Right, that's creepy. Alpha Dad. Alpha Dad is a little, <laughs> he's got a little creepiness to him, I agree. But, <laughs> Alpha Dad. but he's only got his best, you know, his daughter's best interest at heart. And he that's is a cabinet true. puncher in this section, Tommy. But yeah, well, that's just for my case on Douchey Dad. Anyway, continue. <laughs> All right. So sequence what? three. <laughs> it's not Douchey Dad. It's Alpha Dad. Okay, off of that. <laughs> this sequence here is so good that I had to make a checklist. So I'm going to read a few sentences. We'll get to my checklist and then turn it over to the panel here. After escaping the riot, David and Nicole park, get to know one another a little better, make out. Nicole has to go home for a curfew, but she has no clue she's in the presence of a mastermind. David simply turns her watch back 30 minutes to give them more time. <laughs> Who would have thought you could do that? Amazing. He is a genius. Just a genius. Just a a mastermind of time. So (laughs) this, of course, doesn't fool the stepmom when Nicole gets back and she winds up saying she looks like a slut. We then get a small montage of Nicole and David. You know, they're hanging out. They're making out more. David even gives the line, you know, every part of you tastes so good, which Made me wince so hard, my that face almost awful. froze like that. Oh, Whew, that was rough. David, he then meets the family and he charms everybody except for Mr. Walker. He's doing yard work. He's palling around with a little brother. He's hitting on the stepmom. And as the group gets ready to leave, they get ready to go out for the evening. Margot and David go into Mr. Walker's office 
And this is where I created my checklist of things of inexplicable, bizarre moments that happen. And this happens oh, yeah. in this, about two or three minutes of screen so time. Weird. Quick checklist, all right? For literally no reason, Margot seductively bends over in front of Mr. Walker. Her ass is hanging out, and she's kind of teasing him for some reason. David stares at Mr. Walker, smiling, while he's taking this all in. Then out of nowhere, David just screams out, Nicole, get me a Coke. (laughs) He loves Coke. (laughs) My type of guy. And then sure enough, David is back playing with those damn clocks again, Turning Mr. Walker's clock back 30 or 45 minutes. I mean, he's got it. Yeah, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's got the space time continuum figured out. It's like he's freaking Dr. Strange with this, this clock it, stuff. It's like That's Alpha Dead. Does Alpha Dead only have one clock? Does he really think he has no <laughs> other clocks? Apparently, he does later on because he misses his deadline because he's like, he's like, no, crap, the, clock. the clock was the wrong. Clock. Yeah. Yeah. That's apparently, it. But, I didn't know we were dealing with Doctor Strange here, man. This guy is a genius. <laughs> he can he can control time. She's in Reese is in great hands. She can do whatever she wants. And I don't know. I love what you're saying, Wes. Like I don't know what's creepier: the dad checking out the daughter's friend, or the you know the way she's he's looking at her, or the way Marky Mark is looking at the dad checking out the <laughs> yeah. daughter's friend. Like I Marky like Mark's Mark is checking out busy. Alpha Dad. Marky Mark is checking out Alpha Dad, checking out the daughter's friend, and he is into it. It's one of the weirdest like looks I've ever seen in a movie. Both like he's like Yeah, well, but especially Mark to Alpha Dad. He's like got just like (laughs) mesmerized, like he likes what he's doing and he wants to be a part of it. Maybe like, hey, I want to be you one day. I am you. I don't know. It's very strange. I, I agree seductive. with you. I don't I like know it. what his eyes are saying in that moment. I don't. I don't know if he wants to be him. He's attracted by what he's doing at the time. Yeah. If he's or if he's just saying like, "Oh yeah, I see it too," but I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to look at your eyes while you look at it. I don't know yeah. what he's saying. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. I, I like to defend though. Alpha Dad for a second because I mean he didn't ask for any of this. He's never been. That we know of one to, to like try to hit on, you know, young women or anything. But she literally just pours this on him and he's just kind of like uncomfortable while also, I mean, Alyssa Milano's a nice looking lady. So, I mean, he he's so confused, but I'm concerned with the Marky Mark look at the, the, him staring at the dad <laughs> yeah. looking at that's what I'm. It concerned was with. so weird. We need to free. Know. We need to freeze that face and put it on our Facebook. Yes. Like I mean, because it is something to behold. Is that our new logo? Yeah, <laughs> the Mark Wahlberg look. It is really creepy. No, I know we can talk. Just let's just talk about this scene. I think you know this movie is ultimately about the rivalry between Mark Wahlberg and the dad. Out and like in that scene is like kind of setting the template of that rivalry mm-hmm. brewing. He's looking at her and Mark's like looking at the dad. Okay, you got some weakness too. I, I can take advantage of this. I think that's where it's at. Seeing some weakness in the dad. All right. This is going to be the section where I've got to bring it up. And I know you guys are concerned with it too. Is anybody concerned with how Marky Mark is kissing Reese the entire movie. I don't know if he's like kissing I her. I try not to watch. Honestly. Or if he's confused her for a five foot tall ice cream cone the entire. Like I thought at one <laughs> section, I was like, I think he's going to eat her. 
I don't I know. Do people kiss like that? It doesn't I look can't enjoyable. Watch, Gabe. I don't know. I really can't watch it. It's too disturbing. It is. It is. It it's is like a horror movie. It, it's there the is. weird. It's it's so weird. It's and look, I mean, hey, everybody, you know, you see two attractive people making out kind of thing. But I mean, this is just like has the opposite effect. I mean, I get like almost sick to my stomach watching him eating her face. It is the most bizarre kissing. Yeah. And you got Mark Wahlberg. He's in his 20s. Good looking guy in real life. And it's like, buddy, I mean, you're going to probably make out with a lot of females in your lifetime and you're going to have to get better at this really quick. Cause that was really bizarre. Well, you know, I wonder, and I'm, I don't think this is the case, but I wonder like, is it on purpose almost? It's like he is devouring her. Like you can take this from more of a metaphysical level. Like mm-hmm. it's like he is the aggressor and he's like going to dominate her life in such a way. I, I think there is that aspect to it, but I don't know if they were that deep when they were making this movie. It's oh, hard to say. No I think way. you're right, but there's a section where his mouth is open and his What's tongue is that? out, and and it's her forehead. I'm like, what's? <laughs> if somebody did that to me, I'd be like, what? What? What's going on here? Hey, like, you're gonna have to settle that down. <laughs> like you're gonna have to, yeah, you're gonna have to stop that. I think it's... he's doing. I think he's doing kissing wrong. <laughs> it's a it's a really weird artistic choice for sure. Like, like how nobody saw that was like, oh, this is not a great. Look here. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so the director was cut. Like it. Yeah, yeah, the director's like perfect cut. He was probably honestly probably what happens. He was as disturbed as we are. Was just like, let's just move on. I don't want to <laughs> deal with this. Watch this. <laughs> this is too disturbing. I can't expose Reese's forehead to any more of that. Yeah, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And Reese and Marky Mark were dating at this time as well. So that really makes me kind of question, because obviously Reese was into this. So, oh, man. (laughs) Very, Uh, very strong. Lots to unpack there. Anything else about this this sequence? I mean, we're cooking with Grease now, my boys. So anything else about this? Where where do we end in this sequence? What's the last part? It's just whenever they leave the house. That's that's where we're okay. We're yeah, yeah. No, I think we're good right here. I do love though, like we like we've already talked about his his just idea of just turning back the clock. Like yeah. it's so stupid. <laughs> like it's just breaker. like well, this will work every. Like I just don't understand. I guess yeah. If he only looks at that clock, I guess it's gonna work. But um, they live the at a at a in a waterside mansion. And Marky Mark thinks that's the only clock that he could possibly see. Yeah. And my favorite thing about the clock turning back is it literally has never works. Like it doesn't work at all. She gets in trouble big every yeah. time he does it. Never works. Well, the mom's also there. I mean, she's going to know what time it is. <laughs> He's working on his computer, isn't he? There's a he is. time on a computer. You know, there's the time on the computer. He has a security yeah. camera like right next to it where he watches everything with it's also gonna time, have the time. The time in the bottom <laughs> corner. All right. I think we're ready for uh sequence four. Anyway, I'm gonna, as uh they say in Breaking Bad, tread lightly uh throughout this sequence. So as they leave the house, we pick up with a female version of wild horses playing, and the group goes to an amusement park. David and Nicole are all over one another as they head to the amusement park. We then get one of the most uncomfortable, laughable, and most famous scenes from the film, 
the roller coaster scene where we'll just say David and Nicole have some hand sex. Back at the house, David's clock trick makes Mr. Walker late for a project and he has to go out of town. So maybe it did work, even though Nicole gets in trouble for being late again. With her parents out of town, Nicole, of course, calls David, gives him the house code that may come up later, and then he gets his statutory rape on. Plus, he finds <laughs> plus he finds her daddy's girl bracelet. The next day, David, out of nowhere, just like the riot, beats up Gary nearly to death simply for hugging Nicole and in the process blacks her eye. And another one of my favorite parts of Fear, David is immediately super confused on why Nicole would be upset in this moment that he's hit her <laughs> yeah. and almost killed her best friend. So, well, guys, I know there's some things in this sequence you don't really want to touch with a 10-foot pole, but anything else about the sequence that you want to discuss? No, I would just say I think you did justice to the roller coaster scene. Probably not going to be able to talk about it much on here, but it is truly ludicrous. And, you know, where, and then Mark Wahlberg basically, you know, she gives him the code, which will come back later. Then there's more stuff uh, that's a little, probably not the best to talk about on here. But going forward, like you said, Wes, where Mark basically beats up the, the boyfriend and he's like, wow, what are you mad about? What? It's like, once again, the character is so stupid. It's like, what is wrong with this guy? He's like a idiot savant. <laughs> I just love how he's so confused on. Now, Nicole, why would this make you upset? What? What is Nicole? Yeah, I love the Mark Wahlberg. The, the thing about Mark Wahlberg is, I've always thought, he's good at playing the scrappy underdog, but when he's playing like the confused person... It's it's hard to take. Like, there's this role, The Happening, oh, Lord. Planet of the Apes. They're, it, they're just so bad. You know, the characters are kind of, like, confused about things. Mm-hmm. And it's not like this character's really confused. He just kind of plays them dumb. When Mark Walker plays the character dumb, I don't know. It just doesn't work, I don't think. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. It's it. like Mark's playing dumb while the character... It's, it's, it's too much. You can't double do that. But... I mean, so much about Mark, the way he hits on her. These things don't work. The dance, the dance line, and then he pulls the naked man. That's he walks into her house. He looks at her jewelry. Like who what man goes through your even if you are a creeper? I mean, yeah. I can see the looking at the photos, but who goes through their jewelry just to find <laughs> the I'm, daddy's girl bracelet? The daddy's yeah. girl bracelet. Oh, yeah, like, that's creepy. That is, that is think, creepy. But I it's think they do that. To make him like an uber creep. I think that's kind of your first. I could, but I could see him like, going through like her panties. This is just like odd. And then he pulls, like I said, the naked man. Like if you guys watch How I Met Your Mother, it's just where you just take off all your clothes and you hope it works. Like he's just standing there. It's, <laughs> the guy on How I Met Your Mother said it works one in three times. And the other three, you're just embarrassed or whatever he says. Naked man Luckily. It worked for Mark. Yeah, this guy just does it. He goes, he cuts the crap. You know, it works one in three times. And Mark just, you know, I guess he saw that even though it happened afterwards. It worked. This was one of the one in three times. So he's, like, done two terrible pickup lines, and both have worked. 
But I mean, Mark, Mark is like, I mean, his character, David, is supposed to be, it got to be like 22 or 23. I mean, uh, he is not a high school student. And it's just, that's why I said he gets his statutory rape on. Because she's she's a 16-year-old girl, and he is definitely uh, supposed to be in his early 20s. It's just uh, another just weird vibe pulsing throughout the whole movie. And I wonder how old Mark Wahlberg was when he even made this. Early 20s, I would think. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, about the age that the character is supposed to be. Because, I mean, he's out on his own. He's with this kind of gang. He looks older than her. It's yeah. just you. I mean, he he's he has a fully formed like cut man. Yeah, body. There's no way he's in high school. Definitely. And let's <laughs> face it, you know, Mark is ripped and he's been working out. The naked man's going to work for somebody. It's Marky Mark right now. When <laughs> that's, he's, true. That's, that's true. That's true. So there, Mark Wahlberg's ripped, definitely. So I I do I'm going to say this just because I, when people think about the movie, they do think about the, the roller coaster scene. I was in middle school when this movie came out, and it was literally the talk of the town. I mean, I I can still remember it to this day. I mean, years since the movie was released, it is the scene that sticks out in a lot of people's mind for many different reasons. Uh, The one question that I have because of of this scene is, have you ever been on a wooden roller coaster? It beats the absolute (laughs) crap out of you. So I'm just not understanding the whole logistics of the of the scene and with the music and everything that's taking place my brain was like melting inside of my skull so <laughs> i just wanted to just throw out there the wooden roller coaster thing because i just don't like it, the logistics of it are just are mind-boggling yeah yeah that that leaves you a lot to ponder i agree and the the music choice is just so like on the nose and laughable <laughs> And like it's just so ludicrous. Maybe when we watch as younger and like in, in high school, I feel like it works better. It's like mm. more, but I don't know. When you watch it now, as you get older, you're like, this scene is really bad. I mean, it, it is. It is an all time terrible scene. Just they the way they shoot in their face, the 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 faces that they're making, and just it is just it is just wild. And I just I I, I remember. Whenever it, this movie came back on my radar recently, that's the first thing I thought of is like, man, I, there's that famous yeah. roller coaster scene. But I hadn't seen it in years, so many years. So when I'm watching it for this episode, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I just cannot believe that this is a actual scene in a somewhat serious movie with well-known actors and well-known people behind it. I was just it boggles well, my mind. It's hard. Yeah, it is. And Gabe, I think you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned on this episode yet, but it's like how did this movie would never be made now. And I, there's no way because just that scene alone, once it got trending in social media, the movie would be done. It so many, there's so destroyed. many sequences in this movie that would just end the movie before. It right. Cancel it before it's even released. So yeah, I, I agree. Definitely one w- one of those artifacts artifacts of time, I guess. <laughs> A time castle of the that yeah. mid nineties. All right, is there anything else in this one before we get to sequence five? No. No, no, I think we've covered this one well. All right, good deal. Moving on here, and don't worry, we got some the roller coaster scene is not the apex of the movie. We got some more good stuff coming up. So we pick back up and Nicole, sixteen years old. Back in the damn shower again. The mom fixes her black eye 
and eventually uses the word slut again, which she seems to really enjoy saying. Uh, David, at this point of the film, he just switches over to full-blown stalker, and we also okay, find out where he lives. Stuff. Yeah. Is uh, he, like, hiding behind, like, a door or something? He's yeah, like, just, yeah. Like, just stalking her just everywhere. And, and the thing is, everything's good here, but yet he's still stalking her. He continues to try to win Nicole's affection back, then Mr. Walker finds a condom wrapper in Nicole's room, and with the suspicion that he's the one that gave Nicole the black eye, he's now enraged by David. Oh, yeah. Alpha Dad's pissed. Alpha Dad is, Alpha Dad is, is fired up. And you don't want an Alpha Dad fired up, and David uh-huh. has got him fired up. We then get another bikini scene, imagine that, with Margot, and then David's gang shows up. After a bit, he and Nicole make up. Then we are transported back to the Walker residence where Mr. Walker comes home to find David swimming at the house and playing around with the family. (laughs) David then decides, you know what to do now that I'm back in Nicole's good graces? Let me start antagonizing her dad by staring at him and doing his weird lippy mouth kissing with Nicole right in front of him. Mr. Walker decides to do a background check. And he finds out who David really is. So poor Alpha Dad. He's got this fly in his ointment. He seems to be the only one who sees through David's BS. Guys, what sticks out about this sequence? I hate to tear this movie, this work of theatrical art apart. But there is this one part in this section. It's one of the things that grinded my gear the most about the entire movie. Marky Mark is basically, it cuts to where he lives, like you said, Wes. And it's basically like a cracked out house. He's living in like this back bedroom on this like springy mattress thing that looks like it's straight up from a horror movie. And on the wall next to a springy mattress thing, there are these pictures that I guess that him and Reese had taken. And there's like these little clips of pictures like you'd taken in a photo booth. And I don't know when they had time to do that. But right next to it on the wall is Mark's mug, Marky Mark's mugshot. Because I know what it's trying to do. <laughs> oh, it's trying, yeah. Uh, it's trying to set up the fact that he's a bad guy. But there, here, here's my question about that. How did he get a copy of his mugshot? Like, and why did he keep the picture? Was did he like take the picture in the in the jail and was like, you know, that's a real good pick of me. Decoration. I think I'm gonna. <laughs> can you guys get that printed up for me? I think I'm gonna put it in my room next to my bed. And this is '96. It's not like you can, you know, just go out to your county jail website and and search the pictures. <laughs> Hey guys, I'm going to want to get a, that and I'm going to want to remember it and stick it next to my bed next to my girlfriend. Oh this man, is, he I, sought this photo out. Like he went to great lengths <laughs> to get this photo. And if you notice like his decoration, that's kind of like the the <laughs> the prime thing. Everything else centers around that. It's the centerpiece. <laughs> that's the centerpiece of set. the decoration. He's like, this is what I need. Everything else will go along with that. <laughs> director was like how are we gonna set up that he's like kind of secretly a bad guy well he's already beat some kid to death no no that's not enough let's put his mugshot next to these little photos of you and it just it's mind-boggling they're just like oh we don't have anything just put the damn mugshot (laughs) (laughs) i will say his robe that dad's alpha dad's robe game is more on fleek than wes and it should be because he is alpha dad he has a beautiful robe with some cross yeah. patterns on his it. His robe is awesome. And Alpha Dad deserves a good robe. So I am I was happy about that. I'll submit to Alpha Dad here. Yeah, my robe game is not on his level. 
I'll yeah. say this. No, you, you got some time. He's he's more middle aged. Like he's like a true middle aged alpha dad. Like you guys can get there. You guys probably got about maybe. I think five. Wes has a better chance than me. He's already he can already pull off the robe. All right, well, Wes, you're you're you can try it's to be like he's probably I would say mid forties at this point. Mm-hmm. And so Wes, you Cully, you've got a few more years. You can get there. And I will say this also. I love the scene where Mark Wahlberg is just like staring at him across the pool. <laughs> He's like, kiss. That is so weird. But once again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about. This movie turns into them fighting for Reese, basically, which is a little strange, uh, but that's basically what it turns into. And it's like but they've we, got this rivalry. I think that's what the film's going for, and I agree with you, but we have to go back to Mark's look at the dad while he's tongue-licking Reese's forehead. It's, <laughs> yeah, like, it's almost like he... Uh, is attracted to him also or something. I, I, I see. Yeah. That's what I take away from it, Tommy. I think he is secretly like, that's what I took away from it. When he was looking at him, checking out the girl, I was like, is he attracted to him? I don't know what Mark's eyes are saying. Yeah, I, I just can't tell. I they're, can't they're tell. They're saying, either. get me out of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think at this time, Mark's like, I'm winning a Academy award. For this <laughs> I'm going to bring it up later on, but, and, and, before I say this, in no way do I, you know, think that uh, guy and you know guy hitting girl or violence is is okay in any. But no girls talk about stuff like this. There's a conversation between Reese and her best friend, and she's like, "He hit me. That's no big deal." The girl, like I forget what her name is, her best friend says that's how they show their love. Who? What girl would ever say that in response to getting hit? This conversation is terrible. Like, whoever wrote this is awful. Yeah. Though, I guess you could say, like, Margot is obviously has some, has her own self, uh, you know, image issues or, like, you know, she's obviously, you know, got mom issues also. So mm-hmm. maybe they're going for that. I don't know. But I think you're right, Gabe. It'd be, that's definitely not, so, you know, if somebody said that, you'd think you'd have a bigger reaction to that. Yeah. Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker. He tracks David down after finding out who he is. He confronts him and demands that David stay away from Nicole. David gives this kind of psychotic, whispering response and then starts to beat his chest, Wolf of Wall Street style. David uses that encounter with Mr. Walker to Mr. Walker. turn Nicole against her dad, and she runs off with David. We get Wild Horses again, just so on the nose, starts playing. And David goes back to eating her face. I find it funny that the characters, they keep telling one another, I love you. But when they say it at that moment, the other character never says it back. So they keep kind of flip-flopping that throughout the movie where they tell one another they love, I love you. But no, they don't ever say it back. I do think that's an interesting choice. Kind of weird. But David then invites uh, Nicole to a party, which she says she can't go. She winds up changing her mind at the last minute and goes to the party by herself, only to find Margot and Allison Chains smoking crack and having sex literally in the middle of the party with people partying all around them, literally in the middle. And then she sees David getting his rape on with Margot. <laughs> Devastated, Nicole drives off. The next day, David shows up at the school again. Again, he just kind of comes and goes to the school as he pleases. He causes a scene at lunch 
where Gary stands up to Nicole. I'm sorry, Gary stands up to David for Nicole, and she runs off. So that is where we end sequence six. And T-Man, like like you said, we kick the scene off with this excellent encounter between Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, and David. Yeah, this. I mean, the whole movie's been leading up to the scene. It's finally, <laughs> you know, mono a mono, Alpha Dad versus wannabe Alpha Dad, and <laughs> of course it with ends. Alpha Dad. Yeah, exactly right. And it We're ends sure. with you know Mark insulting Alpha Dad. And Alpha Dad, you know, saying, get away from my daughter. And then Mark doing the chest pound, which I would say is the second most famous scene from this movie, um, <laughs> of him just pounding his chest. And it's just like, I never, every time I watch this movie, I always forget, like, I don't forget it's in there, but I forget, like, in the context or, like, when it happens. And I'm always just so confused re-watching. I'm like, what is he doing? Does he have, like, chest pains? Like, like you know, like, is he trying to restart his heart? Does he have uh, heartburn? <laughs> what is he doing? Like, you know, sometimes you get heartburn, you gotta, like, pound your chest. He like, needed what? a Pepsi AC. Yeah, is he, like, hurting in his chest? It's just so laughable. But at the same time, it's great. Like it's so that's what makes this movie a guilty pleasure. Ultimately not spoiling anything for the future, but it's so laughable, but so like entertaining. You're just like laughing. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what's happening, but I'm enjoying it. I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Absolutely. My note says, wow, this confrontation with the dad couldn't be any move in any movie today. And in fact, this whole sequence that Russ just named off could would have gotten this movie canceled faster than it ever came off. But here's my very next note. Let's not focus on that, though. Let's talk about the scene where, with Mark beating his chest like <laughs> yeah. so, I couldn't focus on it. I, you know, that happened. Nope, I was like, oh, yeah. God, that shouldn't be in a movie. But then that Mark Wahlberg scene happened, and I was like, oh, see, he totally redeemed himself. Movie gold. This is kind of where he starts the, you know, uh, our buddy Zach, you know, watches this movie and, and, and stuff like that. And, and he does a great impression of the way that, that Mark Wahlberg says Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker. And this is really where he kind of starts that, like, that up speech, you know, that California style up speech where you kind of start light and you kind of go up, you know, at the end with everything that you say. It's just so hilarious the way he's just kind of whispering and talking like this, Mr. Walker, you know, the whole time and just saying stuff like, you know, your wife's on my stick and just on and on and on. It is just uh, just a just a bizarre response. And I actually think that William Peterson does a brilliant job of reacting to what Mark is saying in this scene because that is probably the same face that I would be making too if this dude was telling me the, that same stuff. So I thought Mark, he, he's so weird in the scene, but I thought Peterson on the other side kind of counteracts it by putting in a pretty good performance. As far as the party, though, I mean, seriously, were these parties happening and I just wasn't invited? I mean, what is going on with these parties? These are... People just like hooking up in the middle of them. I wasn't at any grade four drugs or whatever they're, whatever you want to call them. I <laughs> mean, hardcore drugs. Hardcore well, drugs. Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the Seattle grunge scene. So I think it was probably ah. more common in that situation. I was going to go back real quick to the to confrontation with William Peterson. Yeah, I've always, I always really liked him in this movie. I think he's the best part in the movie. And, yeah, Mark's performance in this movie is very odd, very strange. You can tell he's not like a professional actor yet. It's so odd and strange it works, but it's also like scenes where you're just like, what is he doing and what is he saying? Like, yeah, <laughs> his 
accent and his like how he said stuff changes throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Very strange. It's like a it's like a Boston accent mixed with a California accent. It is just it's very very strange. Yeah, you can tell he's struggling with kind of the dialect. I think. Mm-hmm. Anything else here from uh, Jam Pack Sequence Five? No, I don't know. And to Gay's point, yeah, the party sequence. I you definitely get into some convenient timing with some of this plotting stuff of her just kind of. <laughs> Walking yeah. up with Mark Wahlberg, you know, basically assaulting Alyssa Milano's character. Mm-hmm. And so that's very convenient, but I guess it works for the plot. Yeah. The only thing I can think is maybe his accent and everything changed because, you know, his character is evolving. He's becoming more violent. So maybe Marky Mark was uh, acting better than we thought he was. Maybe it's intentional. <laughs> maybe it's part right. of the dichotomy of his character. I don't know. Uh, I love how we work dichotomy into a, uh, uh, episode about fear from 1996 so no problem that's what we're doing doing big things this episode all right we're ready for sequence seven we're down to our last two sequences here and we pick back up and aside from william peterson there's not a lot tons of great acting going on but i do think this is one of the stronger scenes of the movie is if you're looking at it if is like a true critical eye you get a good performance out of Alyssa Milano and, to a certain extent, Reese's character. Nicole confronts Margot about her relationship with David, where she's really distraught because, I mean, he raped her. He sexually assaulted her. And I think her response to Nicole um, just kind of abandoning her in that situation was realistic and well acted by Melissa Milano. So I did want to give the movie props yeah, for that. And, and where she says, you're my only friend. And then yeah. she shuts the door. Like that is an actually yeah. really good scene. I thought it was, I mean, it, in a, like a truly just that little section right there. It actually felt like a real movie. A good for movie. A yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it tricked you. Tricked me. So we then follow that excellent scene up with a cheesy car chase scene with David and Margot, where David just keeps pulling up beside of her and just giving her a, one of those good old David stares. After realizing that Nicole knows about what he did with Margot, David shows back up at the Walker residence, pleading to be able to see Nicole. Mr. Walker rejects him. So naturally, he responds by going home and carving, tattooing Nicole forever into his <laughs> chest. With a razor and ink pen. And it's spelled Nicole, the number four, and then E-V-A, Eva. Eva so, was just too much to write out. They had to, they had to abbreviate it. Oh, man. I, I, that is the point of the movie where I just tossing myself back and forth on the couch. I just could not believe what I was seeing. I forgot all about that scene. And, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. He continues stalking Nicole. And then he follows her friend Gary. As he inexplicably, a movie full of inexplicable scenes, walks <laughs> through a heavily dense forest on his way to your best guess, where David murders Gary by snapping his neck. And between stalking and murdering, David also has time to trash Mr. Walker's prize cherry red 1966 Mustang convertible, leaving a note, a cringeworthy note that says, now... I've popped both your cherries. So that that is where we leave off of sequence seven. And that is a strong sequence of goodies there. 
Wes, I'm so glad you said it in your walkthrough, but it's what I was going to talk about. Like that scene where Gary's walking, he's like, he's like, I'm going to walk home. He's just walking, but next to a bunch of buildings and cars, then he just turns into a heavily dense forest. I'm like, <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, I was like, where does Gary live? Does he live in a redwood? Like what's going it's on? It's a redwood forest. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's like, and, and what going? was cracking me up so much about it is, I mean, it's just so freaking dumb. That whole thing is just so dumb. And I was like, where the hell is Gary going? And when they show that side shot of David chasing him, it literally looks like a scene from Predator. It's like a jungle mixed with a redwood forest. In the where middle of the city. Where is Gary going? Where is he going? I don't know. I don't know where he lives. In Ansel and Gretel's house? I don't know what he's going for there. Like, I couldn't figure it out, like, at all. Like. And this goes back, harkens back to where I was like, you know, the dialogue's so bad. I got to point it out. And you pointed out the next thing. Now I've popped both of your cherries. And he, the dialogue so is even bad when it's being written. <laughs> like, they can't even make the dialogue good when it's being written on screen. It's, it's mind boggling. It's being written uh, forever. They can't. Ah, uh, so many things. I will say, yeah, the, the sequence of him running after Gary is, is ludicrous. And, like, how he is able to break his neck that easily is one. It's like he's a supervillain all of a sudden in a movie. <laughs> That's what he turns into. And but he can't, so he it's, can't it's, match Alpha Dad. He's not a supervillain enough to Alpha Dad. But he is, Gary's nothing for him. Like, Gary's like a chump. He can just, like. They're turning him into a supervillain towards the end of the movie they kind of because you know you got the sequence of him doing the tattoo marking himself and creating the, you know in, in those movies in any type of movie where like somebody turns into the supervillain or the bad guy they always got to have kind of like the crazy scene of him like shaving their head or tattooing something or you know going to buy the gun or whatever it is this is his sequence i, I can see the that tattooing yeah. yeah yeah it's like because it's like all right, now he's gotten crazy. It's, they've always got the got to have the crazy scene. <laughs> if he wasn't crazy before, now, now he's he is extra sure. crazy. Now that he's done this pin scar tattoo thing, <laughs> another just really strange choice. I know what they're going for, but like, do, do people really do that? I, I do remember people strange. like like cutting themselves and then putting pen ink on them. Like I, that was a thing. Like I didn't. One, another thing I didn't participate in. Right. Like, like you know, grumpy old Gabe here. But I never yeah, did. Grumpy old Gabe. I never. I never put well, that one worked out for ever. you. Yeah, that one. That one paid <laughs> some dividends now. <laughs> grumpy Gabe, that saved you. Grumpy, grumpy Gabe. That almost sounds better than Grumpy West. But yeah, let's stick with that. Yeah. Grumpy Gabe. Oh wow. Yeah, and then they're, they've got that chase scene. Isn't this where Mark Wahlberg chases Margo down the road? Yep, yep. they got the car chase where he just not paying any attention, just doing his David stares at her through the car. Yeah. I mean, he has really got, gotten crazy. Like, he has turned into a psychopath. Not saying, and this type of stuff does happen, you know, especially in relationships with guys of younger age. You know, they can kind of get crazy sometimes. This is definitely just one of those extreme examples. Like, is it believable? I don't know. But he, they definitely make him crazy. They don't make him sympathetic. They make him totally bonkers. Mm-hmm. You know, some movies would have him more of, well, I'm I'm crazy or I'm evil because of this, you know, to yep. give him a reason. They don't do that in this movie. They just make him crazy. And it and it and it become it's more outlandish because of that. 
And I think if they would have tried to, and I don't usually fall for it as an audience member because I think these days they try to make a lot of our villains and stuff a little over sympathetic. You know, they're doing these terrible things and then, you know, we're supposed to be like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, it's cool. You just murdered all those people because you were sad about this. But they could have at least done a little something to try to conflict the audience just a tad, but they just go complete the opposite spectrum, like as far as they can with this character. Well, I think think what makes the best villains usually are the villains that have a, a reason, you know, a purpose. Like why they're doing something, not yeah. that you agree or disagree with them or they're or not even that they're trying to create sympathy, but like you understand their motives. You understand yeah. why they're doing it and not for this. You don't really need to understand. He's obviously just a crazy, younger, but maybe maybe they needed a little bit more for him because it does make him a little bit more outlandish. But honestly, that's kind of the tone of the movie. So kind of works, I guess. I like what you guys are th- saying. I just think maybe this movie dissected serial killers a little better than other movies. Because, you know, in other movies, these are not serial killers, but these crazy people, I guess, you they go understandably crazy. This one, it just goes off the rail. <laughs> like, you have no idea. I you mean, don't know, right? the way he's looking at, at the dad, you don't know what's going on. You don't know with his tattoo. He just goes off the rails. And I think that's how crazy people really go crazy. They just go off the rails. So maybe this is more accurate. I don't know. True. That's a good point about, I mean, if somebody is truly mentally unstable, sometimes there is not necessarily a reason. There is just a chemical imbalance or there is, you know, there is that, you know, disorder that they have. And so maybe that's what they're going for there. Once again, we are very sensitive to people with, you know, (laughs) I'm not. I'm commenting on the movie strictly. We're very sensitive to people with, you know, conditions. Yes. All right. Agree. Well, I think we're ready for our final sequence here, and we'll get this uh, this episode. My stomach's hurting anyway from laughing. Get this episode wrapped up. All right. So we got our big finale here. David goes back to his stalking ways and he corners Nicole in a mall bathroom where he says a bunch of nonsense. I wasn't really paying attention. (laughs) At this point, you're like, I don't know what's happening. Right. We don't even need this scene. It's it's, watered it down so far. (laughs) Like you're just like, this is normal. All right. Yeah. He's He's back to giving his speeches. And so in a fit of anger over the car. Mr. Walker goes and trashes David in his gang's pigsty of a house and finds a, <laughs> finds a Nicole Shrine, including her panties, a Photoshop pic of David's face over Mr. Walker's face in a family photo, and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, I think he's so got her as like ridiculous. the Virgin Mary or the Mona Lisa as well or something like that. It's just so stupid. But so Mark uh, Wahlberg's basically wanting to replace Alpha Dad. I guess. Yeah. Right. Or something. Right. That's where he's at. And um, replace historical figures with, Ni- with Nicole. Or replace Nicole with historical... Yeah, I, I said it backwards. Anyway. One or the other. One or the other. He's he's attempting to do that as well. So David and his gang, or David and Allison Chains, I should say, return home and they find it trashed. Which I think is funny because it was already trashed to begin with, and he just <laughs> trashed it even more. He might have improved it. Well, I think he made <laughs> yeah. some stuff better. Uh, yeah, Mr. Walker made some improvements around there. Came and uh, cleaned Mr. Walker. 
Mr. Walker done trashed my house. So Mr. Walker. <laughs> anyway, uh, their plan is they're going to exact revenge on Mr. Walker's residence. So Mr. Walker, what? <laughs> shortly before their assault starts, Margot comes over to tell Nicole Gary was found dead in some jungle in Africa. No, just kidding. It was supposed to be around Seattle. <laughs> so from this point on, the movie turns into straw dogs with the gang attacking the house, the walkers fighting back, and ultimately the bad guys are defeated. Mr. Walker throws David out a window, like T-Man said, to kick us off to his death. And after that, the movie just ends without a second thought. Thoughts yeah. on the climax and ending. Credits <laughs> I think the director was just like, let's just end this thing. Get out of here. I'm done. So I know there's a lot of stuff that, that happens right here, but we really just have a couple of things. And then the whole big straw dogs ending of the movie. So what do you guys want to talk about here? I think one of the most memorable scenes like that I remember is the dog scene. And I then when we recorded the Oscar episode and we're talking about this with Matt, he was like, yeah, I remember that dog scene. So trigger warning, pet lovers, you know, there's a horrific dog scene with a... <laughs> dog's head being put that, through a doggy door and it's it's tough to watch but okay, that's know. a good point because most movies do not hurt the animals right like most movies will like kill they'll kill like a hundred people yeah even torture whatever humans ah don't matter dogs my wife will turn off a, movie keep if a dog gets hurt i don't know <laughs> if she would ever watch i am legend like this movie she would just cut it off right here it's reminiscent of the horse in the godfather they just drop it right through the little doggy door. And I'll be honest, it caught me off guard whenever I, yeah. I, I rewatched the movie uh, for the first time in a long time. I'd forgotten about that. And when that dog head comes rolling through real quick, it is a little startling. It's effective. Absolutely. I'll tell you what. I mean, I the other thing I always remember about this movie is the ending, is the straw dogs home invasion. ending, And I think it it's really effective. It's really well done. Like I said, this movie is really is better directed than it deserves to be. Like we talked about yeah, the musical score, sure. it also has better direction, and that whole whole ending is actually really good. I really like it. I always remember. You all probably remember the movie trailer when this movie came out, because like you said, Wes, this movie was a big movie for people our age who we were what in middle school or whatever age we were, and a little older than us. And I always remember like watching MTV or whatever, and they would always show the trailer of this and Mark Wahlberg like yelling into the the eye hole of the door. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was always the big one of the famous things from trailer. But anyway, also the whole end sequence of the home invasion, you you know where everybody's at. It has good spatial geography, good tension, mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. sequences of like you know, her drilling the hand of the guy. It's just honestly, it's just a well done set piece. I always enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. And one thing on that, uh, since you brought up, which it m- made me bust out laughing, him yelling into the into the eye hole. Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's really ridiculous. <laughs> but in just the whole way it's shot, apparently this scene was put on the cutting room floor, and they rethought that. And the director really liked that scene for some reason, so he put it back in the movie. And no, it's not good, but it is memorable. Right. Um, it's so memorable. it's a, it, I guess it's effective, but it doesn't even look like it was a finished scene because 
of the way that Mark Wahlberg says the line, you know, let me in the house. And then he kind of yeah. steps back and he kind of does like this weird face, like, <laughs> it's that, the whole thing like it wasn't supposed to, like that part wasn't supposed to be in the movie. It's just so weird the way that it's, that it's yeah, cut. I agree. I know what you're saying. I, yeah. There's something off about it. it. It just, it is just memorable. I think one is because it was always in the trailer, but also just when you still watch it, it's always kind of startling. You know, you know what's crazy about this movie is you can mention it just really anybody our age and they know it. When you guys had talked about watching it as a guilty pleasure, Matt thought of the dog scene. Different people think of different scenes, the roller coaster scene. I thought of this scene, the straw dog scene. I remember this is what I think about fear is the home invasion at the end because I remembered that whole sequence very good from my childhood. But what I will say about it is, and I've got to set it up, first of all, these people live in multi-million dollar houses. And if you've ever seen any of those multi-million dollar houses, they're all by the sea, all of it's built out of glass. And, like, it's just beautiful. Um, So when I was watching it, I was thinking, I was like, man, another situation. Where do these people get these henchmen? I can't even get my brother to come up (laughs) skiing with with my son this past weekend. You know, when we were going skiing, uh, because it was short notice and he had to go to Memphis the next day. But but this guy's able to get four of his buddies. Hey, you want to go commit a homicide on an entire family and break into their house and try to murder them? And they're just like, yep, let's go do it. I, but, <laughs> so, number one, where do you get these henchmen? Number two, the I guess you get what you pay for because literally they spend all their time trying to break into this house with all these windows and everything in it. They're the worst break-in people. I mean, they're, it's covered. They're really in gi- bad. It's covered in giant plate glass window. Like, all you got to do is kick any window in, and bam, you're in. And it takes like <laughs> entirely too long. Anyway, that's my rant for this section. Where do you get the henchmen? And they're terrible. Lots of stuff going on in this, and I, I found it kind of funny because you know I was really detailed throughout my outline with a lot of the other stuff because I was just laughing and having such a good time, and I realized why I didn't have as much. I could have even broke this up into two sequences because there's a lot that takes Not place there. here. But I think the reason I didn't is because it's actually pretty good. So yeah. <laughs> there wasn't as much to like, talk about and laugh at. Yeah, no, no it, it is really good. And even the stuff about, you know, the little kid who th- that's another thing when you watch it, you know, the little brother really is barely in the movie. And then, like, he has a big last section where he, like, you know, goes off and starts the car and runs over one of the guys. That's a that's an interesting choice because, like I said, he barely was in the movie at all as a character. And to your point, Gabe, around the henchmen, yeah, I, I feel like the henchmen were all high for sure. And they were really bad. And they're even willing to murder people. Like, the one guy <laughs> just shot the guy. Yeah. Man, like, you're willing like to cops. murder somebody like over this? families, cops, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care at all. I, another thing, and I meant to say this earlier, but I think this is a good time to talk about it, is just the house in general, because Gabe, you talked about it, is like, it's a really well-designed house for the movie. You know, some yeah. movies, some movies it doesn't matter what the house really looks like, but some movies it does matter, and I think th- mm-hmm. this is the type of movie where it does matter. And uh, it just adds another element to the movie, like it's just a memorable house right on the the ocean or the bay, all the glass. Of course, it gets broken into, so it has a big piece to it. So, like that's just another added value element for the movie. I think. 
I think one of the ingenious in this section, there, there is really, I mean, this is a popular topic of true crime podcasts, which I actually listen to a lot of them. It's hard to get the police to take you seriously or to take like some of these accusations seriously. He's trying to get the police. He's like, my daughter ran off with this guy and he's a, and he's a creeper. And he's like, but she did it of her, of her own free will. And I think that's also something the movie sets up really good. That's scary for this section because it's, you know, the police aren't really going to do anything in those situations. They're not going to, there's nothing, you know, they would, well, the police are, would probably yeah, the police, yeah, the police are reactive, you know, not necessarily proactive all the time. And it's hard to know, even though the, the alpha dad knows this guy's the alpha, yeah, the, it's, yeah. It's, it's, he's got minority the, report. Alpha, <laughs> yes. Alpha dad knows, movie. but these cops won't <laughs> listen. And that happens a lot in real crimes. I think, you know, where right. they won't, take something seriously and then and it also helps you relate to the movie because you're like man that i mean that could happen to to me you know theory and that that's why this end sequence like wes said like we can't joke about it because it's you know this could oh i don't know about all these guys and everything but i mean like the one creepy guy <laughs> oh, hold on let's not go that far but no <laughs> maybe i one think creepy guy i i think you know what what could have been funny is um is that you know the dad? Whenever they're 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 fighting Mark Wahlberg's character there at the end, I really wish he would have grabbed a clock and hit him with what <laughs> hit him with a clock just to get him back for all that trickery. No, he should have been like when he threw him out the window. He should have been like, "You're half hour now over it's time or something." Or something like yeah, that. you're half past dead. <laughs> but. I will say another thing I've always loved about this movie is the end fight with Mark Wahlberg oh, because yeah, right. like, and that's why he is the alpha dad. They they're fighting and you don't know what's going to happen. And it actually gets pretty violent. Like he just shoots this, the, the one guy and then he, th- he think he's going to shoot Mr. Waka. Like that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but when they actually get into the fight and he's like trying to go after Reese, like it is, Every time I watch it, I like get not like stress, but you're kind of like emotionally, you're like, oh, come on. Yeah, and he tense. just throws, yeah. yes, he literally just throws him out the window. It is one of the best like end death sequences. <laughs> I love that. Very, and like Wes said, very abrupt, but a good fight scene. What about it? What about this? He throws him out the window, he looks down and he says, Your time's over. <laughs> your time's up. <laughs> your time's up. That's better. Your, your time's, time's up. up. <laughs> and, no, no, I know what he does. He says your time's up, and then there's the clock right there, and he pushes the time back to the right time. <laughs> oh, and, and, then the, and then the clock ticks this out. That they don't even they, the clock ticks, and then the credits hit, and it's just the clock ticking. Tick, uh, yeah, ticking. we got we got another time back to the right time. <laughs> yeah. He, then he puts uh, the right time. Your oh, time's up. Man, the, director of fear, if you're listening to this, fix that ending. Make <laughs> the alternate Paul, ending. We got a guy who does special features in films. We can make it happen. Justin Beam. Well, let's let's yeah, get Justin Beam on a special Justin edition. Justin Beam on this. Well, you know you got you know the Zack Snyder cut? This could be the real talk cut. The fear cut. There we go. There we go. So we just, <laughs> I, I, we got to end on that. I we think. have to oh, end. Boy, that is perfect. That is great. So uh, <laughs> before we get to our final verdicts here, is anything else about the ending or, or the movie in general? 
No, I would just say, I think you mentioned this earlier, but it, it does. I always wish there was a little bit more. To, it literally just like, yeah, like he's like, well, he's dead. It's and so abrupt. There's yes. the credits. <laughs> some movies in too many times, some movies in too fast. This was one of those like definitely too fast. It needed another like father daughter scene. Yeah. Either Tied right up, then or maybe like... a day later or whatever. I don't know. Just them has having a simple conversation to know that like she's going to be okay. I don't know. Something else. Yeah. yeah. They don't reconcile the, because they were, this guy obviously tore their relationship apart and it was kind of a, you know, like a tennis ball was back and forth for a little bit. And then this guy ultimately invades their house and tries to kill their family. Yeah. And they throw him out a window and then the movie's like, <laughs> okay, cool. I'm done. Yeah, I think the director was just like, let's just get this over. Yeah, he was done. That that people yelling, he's like, all right, I didn't. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. done I can't this. do this anymore. Yeah. The roller coaster scene scrambled his brain and then it kept going. He's just like, all right, I just can't. I can't <laughs> handle any more of this. Just end this. He got tired of Mark Wahlberg saying, Mr. Waka. <laughs> Mr. Waka? <laughs> oh, my. Man, I, right, just, so. I just think this is the movie of iconic, like iconic scenes from the '90s that all of us remember. Even it might not be good scenes; it's just scenes that you remember. But man, I don't well, know. I don't. That's for sure. I don't know if I want that ending you're talking about, where the dad and the daughter. Ra- I do, I want our time ending. Let's get that <laughs> clock. All right, the time ending. Your time yeah. is up, and then a clock ticking for the. I want it, and then refixing the time. Like that's what I want. Putting the time back where it's supposed to be. All is right in the world. All Dr. is right Strange in the world. Man, dead. so deep on so many levels. So many. Uh, <laughs> but I think you're right, Gabe. Uh, you know, final thought is just that I think this is one of those movies where there's a lot of movies like this. I think depending on your age, this is like a movie you'll Iconic always scene. remember. Yeah. yeah. And so for people like us who are in their 30s and, and early 40s, I would say, I would say, you know, late millennials, early Gen Xers. This is one of those movies for them, for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's go round table here real quick and and let's get the final verdict. So, Gabe, we'll start with you on this. Is Fear a good movie, a bad movie, or is it a guilty pleasure? Not only is it a guilty pleasure, I think it is the pinnacle of guilty pleasure. Oh, so I wow. do not think we can get better than this. So, does it make it a good movie? I don't know. I'm going to go guilty pleasure. <laughs> Awesome. T-Man, good movie, bad movie, guilty pleasure. Yeah, I think Gabe hit it right on the head there. I mean, it is absolutely a guilty pleasure. And like I said, I don't think it's a guilty pleasure for everybody. But I think for a certain like age group, I think it is one of the defining guilty pleasures. And it is such a defi- defining guilty pleasure for that age group. And then, you know, those demos that... It's definitely a good movie in that regard, and it's a movie that's, while it's not per se like a a good movie, it's a very entertaining movie. Yeah, no, well said by both of you. I'm coming in where this is definitely a guilty pleasure. Uh, I uh, thoroughly enjoy this movie. Uh, Big Bill Van Vagel doesn't like the term us throwing around guilty pleasure. He's, he would just tell us, you all three like the movie, and that's it. but. True. It, yeah, and and maybe maybe I just think it's a good movie. I don't know, but uh, it's endlessly entertaining. Uh, it it brings a bunch of emotions out. A lot of cringing. A lot of I just cannot believe this. A lot of like, whoa, that was awesome, and just 
all kinds of different things. So Fear 1996, definitely go check it out. Keep in mind that it is uh, not a movie that would be made today, but uh, if we've excited you with our walkthrough and review tonight, go check out Fear 1996. So I think that will do it for Real Talk in this episode. Cut us an outro real quick. Audience, as always, we would love for you to do social media interaction with us. We'd love some likes, some ratings, reviews, anything you want to throw our direction. We greatly appreciate that. So many of you have have done that for us. We're closing in on 500 reviews on um, Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hit that mark. Again, it costs you nothing just a little bit of your time just to go out there and say that you like the show. Uh, again, mention social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You can find us at Official Real Talk Podcast or on Twitter at Real underscore cast. That's R-E-E-L. Yeah, we've got that email we've talked about too. So shoot us an email. Tell us what you think about the, the fear episode. You can send us an email to realtalkmoviecast at gmail.com and we've got some more great uh, episodes lined up that will be in your ears shortly so for us that's a wrap Mr. Walker 